All content published by Your Brain on Science is solely the opinions of the authors and does not reflect the opinions of any parties affiliated with them or any additional third parties. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Your Brain on Science. This is your co-host, Elena, bringing you the breakdown on all things psychedelic hype. This is the first part of our Hype or Hope episode series where we're going to get into some of the more fun, interesting caveats of the psychedelic science and what do you actually have to be hopeful for in this field. But first, what do I mean by hype? Well, the basic definition of hype as a noun or a verb It usually includes intense and often exaggeration of a product or idea. So when it comes to psychedelic science and the media, unfortunately, we see this far too often. For example, ketamine is the magic cure for treatment-resistant depression, or psilocybin will rewire your depressed brain. Yes, those are actual headlines, when in fact... These findings are a lot more nuanced, and this over-exaggeration or this hype that's generated by the sensationalism of some of these scientific articles can actually be extremely harmful for the people reading these headlines. So just to start off for this episode, I wanted to do a brief PubMed search, nothing too uh, in-depth. I just looked up uh, the terms psilocybin and depression together. And when I did that and only limited it to, like, trials, so clinical trials or randomized control trials, there are only 18 that have been completed focusing on psilocybin and depression. And when you remove this filter for the type of trials, over 200 articles come up in a search ranging from clinical studies to basic research to book chapters, reviews, correspondences, letters to the editor, you name it. And the interesting thing is that I'm sure if you read every single paper, they wouldn't all relay the exact same information. And that's a lot to read, even for somebody in the field. So even a paper that demonstrates a positive effect for psilocybin for the treatment of depression, there's usually still these important caveats that are noted in discussion in results. And typically, a really critical eye is applied to research, especially if it's a human clinical trial. But first, before we get into um, those caveats, I just wanted to take a step back and look at this drug class of psychedelics and why the notion that they may be a cure-all for people suffering from severe neuropsychiatric disorders is inherently dangerous to promote, especially without talking about the potential negatives. And I've been told, okay, well, we've talked about the negatives for so long with prohibition and uh, the Controlled Substances Act, but these things are concerns for specific groups of people. And by putting information out that's hyped up and exaggerated, you're taking away some of those important nuances that may be beneficial for people to hear those negative experiences. But like I said, before we get into that, I'm going to talk a little bit about just psychedelics generally. So there are a class of drugs uh, that produce visual and auditory hallucinations. So, you know, uh, your typical trip colors and 
Um, things sound cool. There's changes in sensory perception and processing. So um, touch or sound and light uh, look or feel different uh, can change your mood and your cognition and can cause some uh, physiological changes as well. So it can alter heart rate, blood pressure, uh, can cause some GI distress, um, and it can also induce flushing in some people and uh, some more random uh, stuff as well. So the classical psychedelics, so we're talking psilocybin, um, which or psilocin uh, found in several species of magic mushrooms, uh, LSD or uh, DMT. These are all serotonergic. So this means that their main effects are through the serotonin receptor system and specifically the subreceptor serotonin 2A. And this is a receptor that's thought to be behind the trip. So what's causing um, those visual hallucinations, those uh, changes in perception and processing. But what we don't know is if this receptor is responsible for the potential therapeutic effects, and we'll get into that in a later episode. But um, for now, I just want to note that classical psychedelics are all typically serotonergic, and they produce their effects through the serotonin 2A receptor. Um, There's other drugs that can produce similar sensations, but they act on different receptors. And they're sometimes also referred to as psychedelics. So I just be aware um, when you're reading or you see some articles that might overgeneralize that uh, there are some differences between drug classes. So for example, ketamine, um, a common drug used for now approved treatment resistant depression or um, in recreational settings, it's a dissociative drug that acts on the glutamatergic system um, in the brain, so different mechanism than classical psychedelics and some different effects. So now that we talked about the drug classification, I want to just note that depending on the dosage, the effects of psychedelics can last hours and hours or um, with other drugs like ketamine, depending on the dose, can last minutes. So, um, depending on the person, the subjective effects can also range from mild to severe, which, uh, can have different takeaways at the end of a psychedelic experience. So like with one person, they could have visual hallucinations for only part of the trip, but then they have a really upset stomach or their face is really red, but they don't really know why because they don't feel like they're tripping that hard. Another person could have the opposite. They could have absolutely no physiological symptoms or but be having a really heavy trip. So um, it depends on the person. It depends on the dose, your environment that you're taking these drugs in. And it's important to note that a lot of the uh, clinical studies that are cited, they're in very controlled environments. They're in either healthy volunteers or people with... Um, the neuropsychiatric disorder that's being studied, but they're not on any other meds. Um, They're currently not using any other drugs and they're with a doctor for their entire trip. So just important caveats that a lot of people don't think about when they're reading these headlines. So that's why hyping up psychedelics in the news as a cure for depression or anxiety can negatively influence folks that are suffering to try something that they haven't discussed with a friend, a doctor, or someone outside of their situation. And this is especially 
for people who have never tried psychedelics before that may seek them out based on this hype. And if they don't do the proper research, they could be put in a risky situation. That's just reality. I'm not trying to say, like, don't ever try a psychedelic or none of it's real. Like, no, I'm just saying, like, you don't know what someone else's experience is going to be like. So overgeneralizing the potential therapeutics without talking about the negatives is harmful for people that you're trying to treat. So just food for thought there. And especially for the population of people with mental health concerns or diagnoses, they might already be in a really heavy or scary headspace. Um, They might already be experiencing severe dissociation. So going to a ketamine clinic might not be in their best interest. Uh, Somebody with severe PTSD might relive a traumatic experience after tripping and have walked away from it feeling worse. You know, you don't know what's going on in someone's head and to say that everyone should try this to cure themselves. It's like, it's just irresponsible. The concern for me and for a lot of scientists is that the use of these compounds with no knowledge of the negatives or the bad stuff, they can cause pretty scary mental breakdowns. They can leave people potentially more depressed, more anxious, more paranoid, more suicidal. Some people are may not also be aware of pre-existing mental health concerns or a family history. And especially with those with a history of schizophrenia spectrum disorders, could have a large negative response to these drugs and not even realize that they're putting themselves in a situation like that. I used to work at a psychiatric hospital um, where I have seen this happen um, multiple times. I have a friend who's a social worker who's also seen this happen multiple times. This is something I think that gets honestly downplayed a lot since the, the new psychedelic renaissance or whatever you want to call it is that like, we don't like to use the term psychosis, right? Because back in the sixties and seventies, when these drugs were first uh, like being studied and used and were in the popular media, that was what people used to like deter. It's like, oh, well, psychedelics mimic psychosis, so they're bad. But for some people, that's a very real experience. And I think just because they are potentially helpful for one subset of people, I think that you shouldn't discount experiences from people who might have some more severe neuropsychiatric conditions and some different experiences. And not only is that mental health reaction important to consider for someone who's especially drug naive, but also desperation of people when they have tried everything and they have nothing left in them, that's something that is easily taken advantage of. Um, And some of these people, when they see these articles, they might say like, wow, I need to try this. I don't know what to do. And they might find some some underground network of guides or a rogue therapist or some false shamans. And, and they might not know that that's a thing, right? So someone who's desperate or not even desperate and just naive because they have never entered this space before, they don't know what they're seeking, they might be taken advantage of. They might come across somebody who says like, yeah, uh, you know, I'll provide you with these mushrooms or 
I'll provide you with this insert drug here and, and we'll go on a trip and, you know, and then they end up being coerced or they end up paying somebody for a service that they actually can't provide. Um, I think that we need to be careful and we need to talk about this. It's not going to ruin the movement. It's going to make the quote unquote movement better because we're pointing out the issues. And I'm not saying that the benefits of psychedelics don't exist. As a psychedelic researcher, I'm a firm believer that these compounds have profound effects on folks and could be used to inform the next generation of great medications. But the research is still in its infancy, and I definitely don't believe that everyone should have a trip. And there's still so much that we don't know that's good or bad. We don't know how the therapeutic effects, what what the mechanisms are in any situation. We don't know what makes one trip one way and the other one the other way, you know? So I think there's a lot to be learned still before we just go out and tell everyone to go drop a tab. So for those who have never heard the term panacea or don't know kind of what that's implying, it's uh, basically a term used for any supposed remedy that's claimed to be a cure-all. So through the 18th and 19th centuries, several elixirs and like homeopathic type remedies were claimed to be panaceas. Um, They became a huge business and that in some ways are still around today. So a lot of like elixirs or homeopathic um, tinctures, which would contain like one drop of lavender oil for let's example or snake oil you ever heard of snake oil it didn't work (laughs) but basically one drop of snake oil right diluted one million times and then bottled up in little bottles and sold to people telling them that it was going to cure insert ailment here headache gone um joint pain gone depression gone you know so it just boils down to The panacea is, if it works for everything, it works for nothing. I made a list based off my PubMed searches and just my general research and reading all these articles all the time, but um, psychedelics have been claimed to be a cure-all or an aid for all of these things. So we have depression, which is generalized depression, major depressive disorder, um, severe depression, treatment-resistant depression end-of-life related depression. There's anxiety, so general or end-of-life anxiety, some OCD-related disorders, um, which is more of compulsion disorders, but that's a newer field, so um, it's not being quite as explored. But we also have post-traumatic stress disorder um, with veterans or with um, sexual assault victims or with childhood trauma victims. We have the substance use disorders, so alcoholism, clinical trials, and basic research. Nicotine addiction, I think currently only clinical trials. I have not seen that much in the literature for basic research. Um, narcotic addiction, I think there's some stuff with methamphetamine, definitely opioids, um, maybe cocaine. There's been some minor research on psychedelics as treatment for eating disorders. There's... Uh, Two companies, I think, that are aiming to use psychedelics to treat traumatic brain injury. So for veterans or for um, retired sports 
players. Don't know if that's the right term there, but you know, you catch my drift. Um, general inflammation, chronic pain, and insomnia. So I don't know if you see where I'm going with this, but it's important to, to note if it works for everything, it most likely works for nothing. But there's good news. And the good news is that psychedelics are helping some people. They're helping a lot of people. And we're really excited to see ethical and rigorous research continue to move forward. I'm really excited to see a lot of these um, clinical trial results replicated. I'm excited to see the basic research studying the mechanisms behind why these drugs are doing what they're doing and why they're therapeutic. So yeah, let's continue to move forward and let's continue to call out bad science and call out the hype. It's the responsibility of the scientists and it's the responsibility of people who have used psychedelics to not perpetuate that this is a cure-all and this is like gonna, you know, make everybody better. Like it's not, that's not how the world works. <laughs> but I do want to know if you are thinking about trying psychedelics, make sure you know the potential risks. Um, and remember that the study results that you're reading about, they're typically in extremely controlled environments. They typically use smaller to medium doses and the compounds that they get are medical grade and very pure. They go through the government uh, mostly or government accredited nonprofits or agencies. If you want to try these things, make sure you know what you're doing. Uh, make sure you have some friends that know what you're doing. Make sure that you can test your drugs. You can test any drug. You can buy um, fentanyl test strips or other testing kits through nonprofit organizations like Dance Safe. And some states actually offer fentanyl testing strips through their health department. So just look into that and make sure that, you know, you're, you're being safe. Um, you should definitely tune in next time for the second part of this series, which is hope. And this is where Zarmine is going to talk about all the exciting things that psychedelics can do that aren't just hyped up. Um, and she's going to talk about some really cool studies. And uh, please check out our website for the blog post associated with today's episode, which is going to have a list of some studies I mentioned and just some general correspondence for me. I'm going to do a little write-up on what I talked about today and uh, just provide you some stuff for your reading list. So, and some links to uh, some of the stuff I mentioned. So yeah, thanks a lot. And I can't wait to further this podcast and to get into more of those like caveats and those nuances and uh, do a deeper dive into the studies and some of these topics. So thank you for tuning in and we will... Hopefully have you tune in next time for hope.